0: Hello listeners, Beyond the Mask in conjunction with NBC RNA is pleased to announce that listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how to submit
1: them go to our website
0: Well, hey, Sharon, how are you today?
2: Huh, fancy meeting you here. I know, (laughs) face-to-face again,
0: somewhat social distancing. Yeah,
2: there's about five feet. You know, if you
0: sneeze, your big microphone's going to stop it, so, you know, I feel pretty safe in here, so, right now. Oh, I'm (laughs) COVID-free. Have you had, how many tests have you had?
2: Well, believe it or not, I've not had a COVID test. I had the COVID had antibody the test, uh, okay. and okay. I and it's the only test I wish would have been positive. <laughs> yeah, have outside it and of not a know pregnancy
0: test. Oh, wait a minute. Now, not so much, but. Oh uh, Well, it, it is really good to be back in the studio. And, you know, we have a special guest with us today. And I know you've known this guest for some time. Oh, and, my
2: goodness. Many um, years. We won't even say how many.
0: <laughs> well, not we, count
2: that high. That's it. I'd have to take my shoes
1: off.
0: <laughs> well, uh, an introduction uh, to Representative Gail Adcock for the North Carolina House of Representatives. Correct? That's correct. Yeah. Gail, why don't you tell us a little bit about you for our listeners who might not know you.
3: Okay, well, I am a country girl raised in uh, southwestern Virginia in a small blue collar town. Went to diploma nursing school right after high school. Didn't take me uh, a year to figure out I needed to go get a bachelor's degree, which I did at East Carolina University. 10 years as a registered nurse doing everything legal in nursing that I could do that made money. Went back to school, <laughs> got a master's degree, became a family nurse practitioner, had my own business for four and a half years. Then I came to SAS, working in their healthcare center, on-site healthcare, and after a couple of years on staff, was promoted to what has become the chief health officer, and now I have been in that position for 26 years, and a total of 29 years at SAS. One of the best decisions I ever made was coming to work for this company.
0: Great, great. And our topic today is, you know, why nurses make effective elected officials at every level of government and get why is this so important especially now in where we are not only economically but also in our health care system
3: right one of the things I didn't mention in my introduction is what I call my three to eleven job which is <laughs> serving in the North Carolina House of Representatives which I've been doing for six years oh that little thing more, yeah <laughs> the more I serve in government and I had seven years in local government before that so this is my 13th year as an elected official and the longer I'm in politics, the longer I'm in policy making, the more convinced I become that nurses are critical to be in all the rooms where the decisions are made. So many decisions about education, economic development, transportation, and healthcare really need a nurse's touch, someone who has experience and education to help make those decisions, because these decisions are being made by people who not only don't have experience in healthcare, they're well-intentioned, But they don't have experience in healthcare, but they also have a very narrow worldview, kind of a 1950s worldview, many of them where they believe the only healthcare providers out there doing anything worthwhile are physicians. And of course, we all know that while physicians do good work, they are not the only healthcare providers who are moving the needle and changing people's lives.
0: Yeah, you know, I didn't know where you were going with that. You said, you know, the longer I've been in government, I thought you were going to say the crazier I get, Um, but you didn't take it that way. You took it in in an extremely positive way and something I think our listeners can relate to.
2: Well, let's back up for just a minute. Not all nurses have to run for office to be involved in policy and advocacy. Why don't you talk just a little bit about that?
3: Well, thanks for that clarification, because when I talk about nurses being involved, I don't mean they have to be elected. It's not everybody who wants to spend a big chunk of their life doing this. There are so many other ways to serve besides being elected to office. And one of those is, of course, to join your professional association and to get involved in the advocacy activities that they are deeply involved in and to do your part, what I call pulling your oar. And you don't have to do everything, but you need to do something. Hmm. There is so much work to be done. Getting to know your own, and I'm going to talk about the state level because that's where I think the action really is. That's, of course, where I serve, and that's where nursing practices and all professional clinical practices regulated at the state level. Uh, This is where nurses can have a huge impact by getting to know their legislators, the one that represent where they live, so their House member, their Senate member letting them know what nurses do, letting them know that they are watching, letting them know that they can provide information so that their legislators can make good decisions. It's our job to do that. If your legislator is uninformed and makes bad decisions, some of that responsibility has to come home to roost on you.
2: You are a legislator, and most nurses are intimidated to talk to their legislator. What would you have to say to that?
3: I hear this a lot, actually. It's a wonderful point. Nurses will say, and these are nurses who are advanced practice nurses, like you and I, you're CRNA, I'm MP. These are nurses in any kind of practice. And no matter how big their job is, their you know professional job, the incredible problems they solve, how big they are in an organization, they will say to me, I don't know that I can sit down and talk to a legislator. I've never done it before. They know so much or I'm intimidated. And the truth of the matter is they are not experts on healthcare unless they happen to be a nurse like I am. They need you. And the way I approach this, the way I explain this to nurses is that think about it as you would think in your clinical practice. You're sitting down with someone that you're trying to start a relationship with. So what's the first thing you do? You introduce yourself. You tell them who you are. You ask about them. Right. You want to know about what their interests are what they're thinking about. You offer them information in small bits and pieces. You don't walk into a legislator's office for a 10 to 15 minute meeting. You're lucky if you get that. Or you do a brain dump. You tell them everything you think they have to know and you walk out and their eyes are glazed over. You would never do that to a patient. You wouldn't do it when you go to talk to a patient before you're going to give them a general anesthetic in the OR. I would never do it in family practice. When I'm treating somebody for hypertension or diabetes, I would gauge where the person is, try to develop a trusting relationship, and then see them on a regular basis, right? And that's exactly what you do with legislators.
2: Well, Gail, and I've known you for a long time as uh, people know, but you tell another story about nurses building rapport. Do you know what I'm talking about? Whenever hey, you're you tell,
1: yeah,
3: yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, I, I know. Okay, so when I ran for office the first time, and I'm talking about local office, and I had never done anything like this before, I had, of course, gone to the I graduated from the North Carolina Institute for Political Leadership to prepare myself for this, but I was running as a newbie. And I, you know, nurses form instant rapport with people. It's part of our charm and everything. And somebody said to me, how do you develop this instant rapport with folks? How do you get folks to talk to you so easily? I said, look, I'm a nurse practitioner in family practice. I have to get you to take your clothes off and talk to me about your sex life in 15 minutes. I have to be able to establish instant rapport with people. And if you can do that, you can do anything. <laughs> I love that I like
0: story. That. Oh. And it's true. It's true. It's very true. Oh. I mean, it's very true. You it's very similar to my job, but I never talk to them about their sex life. Oh. Me, but I do know a lot about people,
2: though. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, Probably anyway, your I is. Yeah.
3: Well, you know, and I'm not even there's a, a lot sex of people
0: therapist. I don't want to know about, Gary. You know? <laughs> anything
2: about money, you know. People oh, yeah, yeah, tell a absolutely. lot of stories
0: about that. They do. That. They do. They hide stuff from their spouses. I mean, it's, it, it's interesting. It is interesting so, but you know, you know you said something earlier and it's something that sharon always says to me when you know i say a lot of crnas are apathetic and sharon says to me well if they're members of the association then they're doing their part mm-hmm. and you, you said something earlier to that effect as well Is not every nurse out there or every nurse anesthetist or nurse anesthesiologist whatever we're going to call the descriptor these days they don't have to run for office but there's other things they can do, like, you know, support their association. And another one is giving to their PAC, their political mm-hmm. action committee, which, you know, so many CRNAs I hear, but it's probably the same all across nursing, is I don't want to be involved in politics. And, you know, a lot of them think PAC is a is one of those four-letter words. So can we talk a little bit about that as well and why that is important and why they should support their association and your agenda through mm-hmm. contributions to these packs
3: mm-hmm. This is one of my favorite topics. Saying that you don't want to get involved in politics is like saying you want to find out if someone has a heart murmur, but you don't want to use a stethoscope. <laughs> Right? Don't, you need to, don't you need to use the best tool you've got for
0: Absolutely. the job? And I think today as, we're all involved many, in politics, right?
3: And, in, and as many tools as possible. And the truth of the matter, particularly when it comes to nursing practice, anything that's regulated by the state, if you're not involved in the process, and the process is political, then other people will make decisions, and you will most likely not like them. And so a PAC, Political Action Committee, is really nothing but another tool that's used to help the folks that, the legislators who are educable and who listen and who are supportive of our issues are the ones we want to stay in office. They're never going to know everything we know. They don't need to know everything we know. We don't know everything they know. But they need to be open-minded, willing to listen, able to understand, and, and not just be dogmatic. And so a PAC is used to help keep the legislators who are like that in office and the folks who are very opposed to us, not just the ones who say, well, you know, I hear you. I I see both sides. I can't support it. That's okay. But we have, there have been legislators and there's some still who are going, not only am I not going to support you, I'm going to work against you, Hmm. right? I'm going to actively try to keep this from happening in all the ways that can happen. And we have to try to defeat those people. So what PAC money does, it allows individuals to give, you know, a reasonable amount of money. Not everybody has to give the max amount. It allows folks to collectively join their funds together to support those who can help us advance both healthcare care access. So access to the care nurse practitioners give, CRNAs give, CNSs, midwives, all nurses to serve patients, not just serve us. To serve patients, and it, so it is a tool that we, I believe, must use. Before I was, before I ran for the house the first time, I actually ten years before that, had started the first and still the only nurse practitioner pack in our state because it became clear to me, clear to me because I observed it, but also clear to me because our lobbyist Joanne Stevens at the time said to me, "Look, we need a pack." I can't do it, I'm a lobbyist, so get to it. I mean, basically, <laughs> that's how Joanne talked mm-hmm. and yeah. still does. Uh, yep. It's yeah. like, yep. somebody's got to do it, and I can't, or I've got this to do, so you just get on it. And so, by <laughs> gosh, I just went and, and read about it and took an attorney out to dinner and said, how do I start a pack?" And he told me, and I went and got campaign treasurer training, and by gosh, I started a pack, And it became very successful. Now, it doesn't have as much money as the CRNA pack. But I will say that it's not about the amount of money that's given. It's about the participation in the process. It's about being a player. It's about being known. And that has made some differences, big differences, in many elections in the last 16 to 20 years.
0: Well, yeah, I'm also hearing you say, I mean, you know, it's called a PAC. But really, I mean, to me, this is an education fund because you need to educate lawmakers about what – you do and how that benefits the community as a whole and why they should get behind what you're looking to do. Am I right in that?
3: Well, let me tweak that a little bit. Okay. You can educate without the money because that's called lobbying. That's called advocacy. Right. What the PAC does is you're putting your money where your mouth is. Okay. Because right. good. you can educate all day long, but if that person that you just spent two years Getting on your side of the story can't win their election. Gotcha. You're back to ground zero. Gotcha. And what we know, what I know for what I've known for 13 years, and particularly the last six in a statewide uh, seat and have run, you know, three state, well, now my fourth statewide, my fourth state campaign, is it takes money to get elected.
0: Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And, and it
3: takes more and more money in this state to win even a a house seat in a a small district. I live in a, I represent a a urban suburban district. It's an affluent district in Western Wake County. And it is nothing for a house seat in my district to cost the campaign to run between 250,000 and half a million dollars to win. That's one side. That's one candidate. Um, And so you've got to help these people. It's hard to raise that much money. Right. And I like that clarification. They need our help.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point and clarification, Sharon. Do you know how much it, the seat that you ran for in, in the small little Lexington? Oh, yeah. It was only
2: well, supposed. It had never cost over eight thousand dollars to win that seat, and the anesthesiologist opened up a super pack against me and dropped a quarter of a million in it. Wow! And I raised sixty-seven thousand, which was pretty good considering the seat. Like right. I said, eight thousand to yeah. to win it, and the average salary of my constituent there is twenty six thousand dollars a year. Wow, so you have to it, consider
3: yeah that. And I would say when I ran in two thousand fourteen, I ran in the one of the two most competitive house seats in the state.
2: And you my seatmate, an who sits
3: beside me in the house, was in the other one. I raised by myself $250,000. My caucus put in Mm $250,000. My opponent and his caucus put in Mm $600,000. Wow. And that race that I won by a few points cost $1.1 million Mm -hmm. for a salary that pays, wait for it, $13,000. $13,000. So people, <laughs> it's not about the money until it's about the money.
0: Exactly. That's and exactly people like right.
3: me, I don't come from money. I, I tell my husband all the time, I got to stop marrying for love and start marrying for money because <laughs> I tell you what, you know, there are people who can write their own check. For this, but I don't come from a family that can give me that kind of money, and my friends are not millionaires. So that takes thats a lot of phone calls to raise money
0: mm-hmm.
3: yeah, $50, $100, $250 at a time. And that takes time. So when you give a candidate as a PAC chair or a, a member of an association and you take a PAC check to a candidate for $500 or $5,000, whatever that, you know, depends on the type of race they have and how much. Help they've been to you. They will never forget you. That's they will true. thank you, good point. and they will be there for you. That wow.
2: that is true. Now I will tell you that Gail was the second person to donate to my campaign. Right, I after wanted to be I first. Declared well, my daddy told you. beat you to it. But <laughs> oh, your daddy now. That's my okay. My daddy.
3: That um, was okay.
2: Yeah, but yeah. So and I'm a and a and,
3: and just because people should know, I guess. Because partisanship, people talk about this all the time. Sharon and I don't care what party you are. Right. Sharon's in one part, member of one party, and I'm a member of the other. Yeah, and I really don't care what letters after your name. I, you can't get more middle of the road than I am. And when Sharon called to tell me she was running, I said, "Do not go to your mailbox until my check is in there." I want to be the first person to give money to you. Now, I did let her daddy be first. I think
1: that's...
2: Blood is thicker than water. Yeah, I think that's the only campaign check he's ever written in his
3: life. Yeah. And, Um. you know, people ask me all the time, do you cross the aisle? I say, no. I live in the aisle.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: You know, the aisle is where the action is. Yeah. The aisle is where work gets done. It's where relationships are made. It's where really good policy gets made is in the aisle. Yeah, And um, that has been... If I've had any success in my three terms in the house, it's because of that. I like
2: that line. Yeah, I don't think I like I've ever heard too. that. It's yeah. because
3: it's original. It,
2: <laughs> it, it is. So let's back up for just a minute and talk about whenever you ran for town council to begin with. And who helped you make that decision? And just give us a little bit of background about that.
3: Okay. Well, I had spent, you know, how you go from being an advocate to serving on committees and doing things like and people start making comments to you like you should run for office you should do this you should do that they start and they start giving you these opportunities and i kind of dodged those questions for a decade before i started thinking the more i went downtown to jones street the more i realized i was just as smart as anybody i was talking to from across the desk
2: um, it, smarter gal
3: <laughs> yeah well you know I was you can't go say there, that but, all, <laughs> out loud but i can I got a little tired of trying to talk somebody into doing the right thing. And I finally just, you know, take the right vote. And I finally decided I wanted to be the one to press the button myself. So I, you know, like all nurses, we have to have a plan. So I decided to enroll in the Institute of Political Leadership, which is a competitive entry Program it's like a weekend MBA for six months with homework. You learn to do everything in a campaign, and so then when I finished that, I had a two-year plan, and I was going to run for the legislature. Well, you know, life is what happens while you're making other plans, mm-hmm. right? And so the guy that was sitting in my house seat was a great guy. My same party, I had helped him get elected. I wasn't going to run against him. The the uh, senator in my district was a Republican, wonderful guy, moderate Republican. I voted for him. I wasn't going to be running against him. So I started just planning out my plan. In the meantime, in my town council, the woman who represented the district I lived in, because Carrie has the kind of races we have. There's a district representative for four districts and then two at-large members and the mayor runs at large. So I was approached to run for this empty seat because she decided not to run for re-election after two terms. In my great wisdom, I said, no, thank you. Because I've had my, my mind was set on the legislature, right, where health policy is made. And so I thought that was the end of it. A group of people invited me to a meeting one night to brainstorm who we were going to recruit for this seat. I got there late because I was at a Beverly Purdue event. And uh, I came in, sat down, 12 people in the room. I said, so, where's the short list? They said, you are the shortlist. The door is closed until you say yes, you can't go home. <laughs> and... And this is a true story. And in that room was the guy who was going to run against the current mayor, who is now our mayor and has been the longest uh, serving mayor of Cary three or four people who were running for council. A couple of them were incumbents by uh, local precinct chairman, not a nurse in the room. And this is not a criticism of, nur- criticism of nurses, but there was not a nurse who encouraged me to run for this seat. These were all local community activists who said, look, we want you to run for this seat and you got to give us good reasons why you're not going to do it. Mm -hmm. And after a couple hours, I ran out of reasons and I went home and said to my husband, I have to file tomorrow because guess what? The deadline's in two days. (laughs) And that was my start was I've always said some of the best things that've ever happened to me started with me saying no first and sometimes I don't know a good thing when I see it coming. <laughs> well, my husband, you know, he asked me to marry him. And two years later, I said,
2: yes. First I said, you did not I tell just... him no to begin with, did you? I told
3: him hell no. I, said, <laughs> I told him hell no. And so when we got married two years later, he had engraved in my wedding ring in Latin, the patient man is rewarded. <laughs> yeah and so anyway local government seemed like a detour at the time but let me tell you what you know how you look back on your life and you think how did I get here yeah that road that detour was actually the road I was supposed to be on yeah and I spent seven years all but one year of my two full terms in local government and absolutely loved it and learned so much that has served me so well in the legislature, things that I just would not know about local government and land development and economic development and uh, environmental protection, not to mention the hundreds of people that I know now and have connections that I just would not have had without that experience.
0: You know, it is funny how roads can lead you to a place you never dreamt that you would go. But Mm -hmm. um, So what are some of the things you did intentionally or I guess unintentionally that kind of helped you When you know, in the first place.
3: Right. Yeah. I've spent a lot of time thinking about this over the years because I get asked that question a lot. And it's usually asked by younger people who say, what can I be doing now to prepare for office? Because I can tell you that if you just wake up one day when the filing period starts and says, you know what, I think I'll just go down to the (laughs) board of elections and file, not a good plan. Right. Um, Not a good plan. There are some things I just, in my opinion, that I think are very helpful. I don't call them stepping stones so much as I call them building blocks to help you get from where you are to where you think you want to go. And one is leadership opportunities. And those usually come, they come in a lot of ways. One is through your professional association, you're know, Sharon was president of the state, NCAA, and, a, and of course AANA you get, and I was president of our state nurses association chair of our nurse practitioner council and did some other things that when you had the opportunity to both be a leader and a follower, you learn a lot about how to work with people, how to, how to set an agenda, how to think strategically as well as tactically, how to run a meeting. I know that sounds like so boring, not at all. And you learn a lot about parliamentary procedure when you're a president of an association. Mm -hmm. And that has been one of the, the biggest skills that I learned as NCNA president that serves me to this day because if you don't know the rules, if you don't know how the rules process, you get left in the ditch. Yeah. Because you can't it's already happened before you figured out what happened. So leadership opportunity is one thing. The other is getting involved in your community outside of your job, outside of nursing, outside of healthcare, becoming known being a worker and a doer and a thinker and a smart person by folks other than healthcare people. This is where nurses often don't think, I already say, you need a nursing resume for sure, but you need a non-nursing resume too. Because when you run for election, people want a well-rounded person who knows something besides healthcare. Because, you know, I... You have to vote on everything. I don't get to take a walk because it's a transportation bill. You can't recuse yourself in the legislature from any vote unless you're going to personally profit from it. So there's no walking. And if you miss but so many votes, your opponent's going to just toast you in the next election. So you have to be, you have to show your ability to think about other things and use problem solving skills and be able to learn content about new things. I always say the candidate everybody wants is like seven layer dip. Right. Yeah. <laughs> when you do, have you ever had seven layer dip? When you Absolutely. put your chip in that dip, do you want just the sour cream oh, and the no, cheese? Oh no, you want it all. To you melt want it melt all together. the way to the oh, bottom. Yeah. You want Bring it back everything, up. Let it melt in every your layer.
0: mouth.
3: That's the best candidate. <laughs> Somebody who's multifaceted, yep. who's deep, who doesn't have to be conversant on every issue, but needs to understand how education's important in the state, how it's funded, trans—all these things. People want to know that you know that you know healthcare. You're a content expert, but you have gotta be conversing on a bunch of other things. So, being a member of or a leader in a nonprofit like the YWCA, YMCA, or the Multiple Sclerosis Society, the Cancer Society, in Sharon's case, I know she's been very involved with the uh, State Diabetes Advisory Council. These things don't just look good on your resume. When you go out and say to people vote for me they want to know what have you been doing where have yeah. you been why do you want to serve what have you been doing that lets me believe you have the skills and experience to represent me and they want to hear more than you went to your job every day because that's the kind of person they want to vote for
2: so why do you think more nurses don't run
3: well i think there. are more than one answer to that question, but one of the answers is I don't think that nurses are necessarily educated and then work in ways where they see themselves at the top of the table, where they see themselves as the one making the decisions. We see ourselves as the implementer of decisions often, and we do a good job with that, but I think more nurses need to see themselves as the decision maker, the person who says, yes, we'll do that. The one with the the idea, the one who is in charge, if you will. And it doesn't have to be that it's your way, the highway kind of thing. But I do think nurses are not always educated to see ourselves as powerful in that way. And I think we have to change that. And that's why it's it's a chicken and egg thing. If you see more nurses in office, you know, they say, if you see it, you can be it. it. Mm -hmm. When you see nurses in the House of Representatives at the you know in Congress. If you see a nurse who's running for governor, like Aaron Murphy in Minnesota ran for governor a few years ago. Even if you don't win, you know, this is not about just winning. This is about doing. This is about showing courage, having vision, and the guts to do it. So I think if more nurses see other nurses do it, they go, Oh my God, I can do that. I mean just like I used to visit legislators on Jones Street and think, I could do this job. I'm I'm as smart as you are. I want nurses to walk in the office and go, I can do what Gail O'Cott does. Sure. I could probably do it better. I mean, that's what we need is that kind of attitude.
2: Well, I think to add on to that too, nurses like being nurses and they like taking care of patients. And in my mind, if nurses could understand that when you're taking care of patients, you can only take care of one at a time. How many constituents do you have, Gail?
3: Um, 83,000.
2: Okay, you're taking care of 83,000 people at a time. Oh, I
3: would say I'm taking care of uh, uh, 10 million, yeah, actually, because the, the decisions sure. I make or participate in affect every citizen of the state. But you're right, I represent 83,000 people and work for 10 million. Yeah, so but you are right, changing 10 million We can take m- care of them one people. patient at a time, mm-hmm. or we can affect policy that affects either everybody in the state or a big chunk of people in the state. Absolutely. And the other thing I would just want to add to what you said about nurses like to take care of people. Oh my gosh, being a legislator, I'm a nurse every day. It's not like I take off my my nurse hat and put on my legislator hat. I got on two hats all the time. They're the same hat. I use my nursing skills and I don't mean going downtown to taking people's blood pressure and listen to their heart and giving them dietary <laughs> advice. No, I mean, I use my nursing skills of observation, the ability to process huge amounts of data and make sense of it, the ability to learn new language and use it, the ability to solve problems, the ability to take accountability for my decisions, the ability to read people and understand when their words and their actions and their facial expression aren't matching. So it's time to back up, slow down and go, what's up? I use those every single day as a legislator. It's those kind of skills, those nursing skills that I think can make a legislator the most successful.
0: Yeah. And, you know, Gail, I I think that as I've gotten to know you over the years and know you even more now, I think you could have fun about anywhere you go. You have that (laughs) personality, but I know that there are probably times in your legislative career that you haven't enjoyed things. So I would like to know what those are and what you enjoy the most about serving in the legislature.
3: Oh, there you go. Well, that's a good one. Yeah, there are some bad days down there. I've had some dark days in six years where I, dark days because of what was happening, dark days because we'd be there for, sometimes 16 hours in a row just to see if you can endure it. Days where I, I turned to my seatmate one time and I said, you know, we're too smart to do this, <laughs> to be beat up like this and come back. And and what I do in a case mm-hmm. like that is just like when I've had, a, I've had a bad day in the 45 years I've been a nurse, I go, get a good night's sleep, get up the next morning and think it's a new day.
0: How do you eat so, elephant, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep.
3: right. And so some of the worst times have been when I have seen – members of my chamber be acrimonious with each other and mean-spirited and say things that I, I know they'll regret, that yeah. they'll wish that they could take back. But you, you can't, once it's said, it's it's out there. And they do that sometimes on camera, for the camera. I've seen a terrible debate happen on the floor of the house one time, and there were school children in the gallery. Mm-hmm. And I I was embarrassed. All I could think of it. That was my fourth grader how would I feel? What have we told these children? I mean, there are days like that. And then I have great days where I, my legislative assistant, Suzanne, and I help a constituent solve a problem and get their unemployment insurance claims settled when they've been trying for weeks, where we've helped somebody connect with the services they need through Medicaid, where we've helped someone get an answer from the division motor vehicles. And now their 16-year-old can actually get their license and can make it to their job and then there are just the things that aren't that measurable when you sit down with a group to talk with them and you listen to their story and not necessarily healthcare and at the end of that they say oh my gosh I've never felt anybody has listened to my story Mm. before I feel like I can do this again you made it easy for me that is rewarding
0: yeah how rewarding that's makes you feel good
3: yeah, it does. Yeah. And I've had uh, groups before who said, um, you know, when you when you talk to a group, sometimes I talk to a group for half an hour if there are three or four or five of them. And that's a lot more time than most legislators can give. But mm-hmm. it just, you know, it just depends on how your heart moves you. And, and I have said to a group before, would you like some feedback? And most of them say yes. And I'll say, let me tell you the things you did that were so spot on. This is what swayed me. This is what, you and I always praise them for coming. You Need to say to people, it was important mm, that you were good. here. The fact that you came down here, you took a day off work or you're retiring, you could be doing something else or you have a child with special needs, but you came down here to see me, that speaks volumes. And then I'll tell them this handout that you used, nobody's gonna read because it's a 10 point font. And it doesn't have any white space. And so what I'd advise you to do is take those three great points that you made with me and put them on one piece of paper. Or you know what? Maybe not even bring a piece of paper. Tell that story you told at the end. Tell it at the beginning. Yeah. And then give me time to think and ask you a question. I said, because that's going to make your message even stickier. And then I'll say, who else are you going to see today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. and they'll say who do you suggest oh. they often say that and i'll say your issue is x and i happen to know that and i start naming six people they care about this issue go see them and they go they're writing notes furiously <laughs> and because you know where we want them to be successful right we want these folks to come down with their advocacy efforts be meaningful and substantive just like when my patients come to see me i want them to leave the exam room going that was worth my time It's the same
2: principle. Well, I'll tell you, whenever, you know, I've lobbied for years, one thing that I always have done with people who may be on the opposite side and I might not have gotten them there, I'll just say, what would it take to get you to yes?
1: Mm.
2: And then they'll tell me, some of them will say I'm never getting a yes. I hunt with the anesthesiologist. I don't know what that bill says, little lady, but I'm voting for it. yeah, <laughs> okay, yep. fine. deer head roll. You don't lobby yep. for gun control mm-hmm. when they got a deer head hanging on the wall, as Joanne <laughs> used to say. yeah mm-hmm. um, but I'll ask them and, you know, maybe it's, we'll find out we can't reach an agreement and maybe they'll right. just tell me.
3: But I'll tell you the other thing, I mean, that may be true. People, I appreciate when people tell me the truth. When somebody says to me, it's like the gentleman who comes and lobbies me every year about revoking the helmet law.
2: I knew that was coming. Riding, <laughs> riding motorcycles.
3: And I say to him, and I can't remember his first name, so I'll make up a name, Larry. I'll say, Larry, you have done a great job. He really did do a great job. It's just, but here's here's my bias. I used to work in a neuro ICU. Oh. It was my first job out of nursing school. I took care of people who had closed head and open head and spinal injuries because they did not mm-hmm. wear a helmet. And I don't think I can ever change that experience and that feeling and those memories. And I want you to understand why I can't vote for this. And we leave friends. And when he comes every year, every two years to see me, he says, I'm back. And I say, welcome. And we know we're going to have this good conversation. But the other thing is that, you know, I have patients I've been seeing for 20 years. I'm in family practice. I take care of a lot of people with chronic disease. And they'll tell me, I'm not going to stop smoking. And I'll say, okay, and they come back and they see me in three months to follow up on their blood pressure, or whatever. And they say, Gail, I'm not going to stop smoking. And I say, OK. And let me tell you, at year two, they're saying, talk to me about not smoking. How would it work? What would I do instead? How would it help me? I'm just saying people need time mm-hmm. sometimes to go through pre-contemplation and contemplation of change. And other things happen. You know, they start having respiratory illnesses or their father yeah. or a sibling gets diagnosed with emphysema or lung cancer and they suddenly it gets real to them yeah. and so life is not lived in a vacuum and the person who says i can't support your bill today might have a different answer in That's six right. months you know this Sharon. Oh, wow. you yeah. don't yeah. not oh, yeah. go see them because they said no right right, right.
0: Well, there's always got to be an impetus, you know. There's those children, you know, I think back to kids that, you know, Mm -hmm. as teenagers, they're knuckleheads and it won't do anything. And then all of a sudden, there's a reason. There's something that just clicks in Mm -hmm. them. In fact, I might Mm -hmm. have been one of those. And uh, and one day, you're unloading a box in a warehouse and you realize – Oh, my God, you know, I I don't don't want want to do do this this the rest of my life. i better get my stuff together. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I might just remember that moment. But but I'll give you an example.
3: So there was a member of the house when I joined who wouldn't even shake. He was a member of the other party. And I beat his friend that he liked. And I beat a two-tone incumbent. And and he would not even shake my hand when I put my hand out. And one day on the floor of the house, he had an emergency. And he was bleeding profusely. It took Mm. two of us to stop the bleeding. He ended up being transported by EMS and getting sutures. And he got up on the floor of the house the next day and told everybody how I was there in his time of need and that I didn't care about party. Of course I didn't. Good grief. (laughs) And he gave me a shout out. And after that, I was gale to him.
0: Isn't that interesting?
3: (laughs) And that's happened more than one time, more than one time.
0: Yeah.
3: And I, what I say is, when people get to know you as a person, things change.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's a, a good note to kind of conclude on. Gail, we we want to thank you. Thank you for your service to not only your 83,000, but us who are part of the 10 million in North Carolina and all the good that you do. And, you know, okay. I do always appreciate that, you know, you're, you're not always um, in line with your party and you do reach across the aisle. And I have noticed that. And you do talk about, issues on both sides of the, the table, and I think that's one of the things that makes you different as a politician and probably leads to your success as well. So so well, thank, thank you. you, and thank you for being on the show today with Sharon and I, and giving this great knowledge that you have to our listeners who are CRNAs out there who, who might have some interest in potentially being in the political arena or might not and can just help in other ways as you've mentioned. So I think you're doing a great job and you know I learned a lot from Sharon in that regard as well because she does such a good job on that front too. Well
2: so. you know I can tell you that whenever we were starting the candidate school for nurses at yeah. Yale, Yale was the first one out of the gate we called her and even now whenever we're doing other things she's the first one who emails me back within seconds gail oh, it was such you a great be? idea and and you are always right there johnny on the spot all i ever have to do is ask so i have to tell you thank you so very much for that because you're welcome you're awesome well
3: that street runs both ways aren't you sweet
0: well guys uh, you know I know we could continue here and if we all had a glass of wine we'd probably talk for the next three hours but um, (laughs) that's true but Sharon I think that's pretty much a wrap
2: I believe so
0: well we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and
2: Sharon Pierce
0: if you like our show and want to know more check out our other episodes wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review but only if it's positive there's enough negativity out there folks until next time. It's
1: Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304 Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA history series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA personal finance series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at Podcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.